This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. California for one half of us. Hi, welcome into this week's episode of the show before the show from MILB.com. My name is Tyler Mon. I am not in San Diego, but one Samuel C. Dykstra is the C stands for cool. Hi, Sam. <laughs> if only that were true. I think Susie Cool has the coolest name in minor league baseball, yeah. but if my parents had the foresight, I could have been right there behind you. It's Sammy Cool. Yeah. If only. If only I was a, a cooler person in high school, maybe that would have been my nickname too. But here we are. Well, how's San Diego going? San Diego is great. This is my first time here uh, at the winter meetings. You'll, you'll hear Ben talk later about how this has been here many times before. I think it was five years ago that it was last year. But um, it, it's a great location for it. You know, whenever I used to think about the winter meetings growing up, I, I always thought like, oh, it's an excuse for the baseball industry to get to a warm place in December. Uh, and part of that has been true. But uh, this really feels like it. You know, it's kind of a, a nice little oasis for everybody in, in you know, as we start the winter doldrums a little bit, I know back home in Massachusetts, my mom had school canceled today and uh, I'm looking out the window and I see several palm trees. So that that is very neat. Um, it, you know, it's been a productive winter meetings for sure. And we'll get into this in three strikes here. But compared to the last couple, uh, I think a lot of people were questioning, you know, what is the usefulness of the winter meetings in terms of a, an event? Uh, from the MLB side, minor league side, it's always a good time for people to get together. But major league side, you know, th- this was supposed to be the time when transactions happened. That didn't really happen the last couple of years. This year, it's obviously picked up, uh, which has been really, really exciting. I wish there would have been, you know, we're talking here uh, on Wednesday morning and, uh, you know, there's been one trade that we'll get into, but I, w- I would like another one. I would l- like at least one or two more that we can really sink our teeth into. And uh, but, you know, like I said, when we did the winter meetings preview, I thought this was mostly going to be about major league signings and how they trickle down. Uh, and that's exactly what we're seeing so far with some really, really big money signings and maybe some more here before uh, things pack up tomorrow. Yeah, it kind of feels like a. Uh... A different era, which is nice uh, because the last few years have been super boring. Um, So we're going to get into three strikes here uh, in just a moment. But just announced from minor league baseball, more than 20 new MILB teams will join the Copa de la Diversión Chase in 2020. The Hispanic Fan Engagement Initiative, fresh off its second full season, celebrates the cultural contributions of Hispanic communities across over 90 minor league cities through culturally significant on-field identities, in-stadium accommodations and entertainment options, and community impact. Copa de la Diversión celebrates the Hispanic Hispanic community whose love for baseball has driven the game forward. Visit MILB.com slash fan slash Copa or follow Minor League Baseball on social media at MILB to find out more about each identity and the initiative. And with that, let's kick off three strikes. Uh, strike number one, it's the topic of conversation around all of baseball as uh, 
Steven Strasburg signed a contract uh, a few days ago for seven years and $245 million. It was the richest contract ever given to a pitcher in baseball history. And then Garrett Cole was like, nah, I got this. Nine years, $324 million with the New York Yankees, a deal that was agreed to on Tuesday night. We were recording this on Wednesday. Uh, Sam, the trickle down of these signings as it impacts organizations and prospects is what? Yeah. So, you know, like I said there in the open, uh, you know, the this was what we were kind of looking at is, OK, these are in, at least in the case of Cole Strasburg stays with the Nats, but it was still an open question whether that was going to happen. Cole takes over a place in the Yankees rotation right now. Uh, and that comes at a kind of interesting time, because if you were looking at the Yankees rotation coming into the year, uh, you know, how were things going to kind of shake out for a Davey Garcia? You look at. You know, just a couple weeks ago, the Yankees actually added a lot of guys to their 40-man roster. They they cut both Greg Bird and Jacoby Ellsbury to add guys like Miguel Yahure, Nick Nelson, Brooks Kriske, Davey Garcia, like I just mentioned, Luis Gill and Luis Medina. A lot of those guys they believe should be starters. I know Garcia moved to the bullpen last year as they got closer to, to the majors and there was a potential of him getting called up. Um, but, you know, the great thing about this being a rotation is that there are five starters. Garrett Cole being your number one starter, yeah, it takes away a place from from Davy Garcia right now. But you know everybody's going to make that trade all the time. Uh, and I think I, I go back to the Yankees a lot in terms of example last year with DJ LeMahieu. When they signed DJ LeMahieu, you looked at their infield and you thought, how is this going to work? Where is he going to play? You know, the, Didi Gregorius comes back. Glaber Torres is there. They have first base options. They have third base options. You know, where is DJ LeMahieu going to get playing time? And guess what? He got it and was an MVP candidate because, you know, injuries happen. Things things happen along the way. Uh, so the idea of Garrett Cole taking away a spot from Davey Garcia is not exactly worrisome right now. Uh, Garcia might be their seventh or eighth best starting option. And there's rumors all around San Diego right now that the Yankees are trying to trade Jay Happ. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. But, um, you know, a- adding Garrett Cole to that rotation is going to be a big boon for the Yankees because, you know, even if Luis Gill, Luis Medina, who are high velocity guys with some control issues, if they work things out, they're still maybe a year or two away. That's not really that worrisome. Um, and, and, you know, you look at the rest of the the Yankees system right now, it, it's not quite up to what it could be, but it, it's got a lot of high ceiling guys and, you know, like I said, injuries happen. Things will work out that this won't be that much of a worry. Maybe if anything, this allows Davy Garcia to work his way through the bullpen and kind of get lengthened out a little bit. Um, you know, he threw only 111 innings last year. They're going to want to add to that. But they, if they save some bullets early in the year, maybe they can move him into that rotation and extend him out a little bit more without having to worry about shutting him down in August or September. So uh, Yankees, not really much to worry about here. The Nats, I think it's pretty clear a, you know, Steven Strasburg is a franchise cornerstone. They're coming off a World Series win. You want to keep the group together as best you can. And even Mike Rizzo said, hey, you know, we're not ruling out bringing back Anthony Rendon, even though I know that there have been comments in the past about the owner saying it's either going to be Strasburg or Rendon. It can't be both. Rizzo made it seem like it could be both in part because of deferments in, in Strasburg's 
contract. But you look at the, the Nats system right now, and it's Carter Keboom, Luis Garcia, Jackson Rutledge, and then it kind of falls off pretty far from there. Rutledge being their top pitching prospect, you know, he came out of junior college last year as a first-round pick, 17th overall. Uh, he'll be 21 for all of 2019, but he's at least two years away. There isn't that type of high ceiling arm in the system like the Yankees maybe have a Davey Garcia where you can say like, OK, if they lose Strasburg, at least we can move so and so into his spot and make that work. This isn't like if they lose Rendon, OK, maybe Keyboom becomes the third baseman. They have a, a top prospect to make that work and to dream on. The Nats don't have that. Their system is top heavy. And even then, it's still probably a bottom 15 system in the game right now, maybe even bottom 10. Uh, so, you know, when you have a free agent on the market, one you know well, one you trust, one you have a good relationship with, you want to make that happen, bring him back as best you can. And uh, the fact that he signed so quickly into the offseason, what feels like quickly anyway, given uh, past free agent deals, uh, it, I think is a sign of the Nats know that they are not that deep right now in starting pitching in their minor league system. Uh, ben Bramer. Will Crow, these are the types we're talking about who may be major league ready in 2020, but neither of those guys are going to replace Strasburg. So, um, you know, the trickle down effect of those guys is they were probably only going to be four, fourth or fifth starters anyways. Uh, they could still fill those roles at, at some point next year. But right now, uh, the Strasburg bringing him back was more filling a need and a need that they were not going to be able to fill just on their farm system alone. Strike two this week, we have a trade involving a prospect, the uh, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, dealing their first-round selection from 2019, Will Wilson, shortstop out of NC State, who debuted last season with the Orem Owls with a Z in the rookie-level Pioneer League. Uh, Will Wilson is off to the San Francisco Giants and made a very good impression when somebody dug up that he tweeted in 2013 that he hates the Dodgers. So obviously, a uh, good way to endear yourself to the Giants <laughs> fan base. Um, what do you make of this deal, the, the Dodgers going out, or the Giants rather? They're going out and uh, acquiring young shortstop and a first-round talent in Will Wilson. Yeah, so this one is, is kind of reminds me a little bit of an NBA trade. I know other people have said that and that you, you tack on an expiring contract and you get a young player as part of it. All, all the Angels are getting back is a player to be named later, a cash consideration. So the big thing from that their standpoint is they are getting Zach Cozart's $12.67 million off the books for 2020. Now, we know the Angels were trying to be big spenders. They were trying to bring in Garrett Cole. That didn't work. Uh, they have been mentioned with Anthony Rendon. They do have a, an opening at third base now. Uh, you know, maybe they go after him hard. Hopefully they do if they're going to make the most of Mike Trout's peak here. But uh, in order to do that, in order to turn to the Giants and say like, hey, please take this money off our hands. The Giants say, OK, that's going to cost you a prospect. It ends up being Will Wilson, who was their first round pick last year. Uh, Will Wilson, not top 100 right now. Uh, it, it's a lot of that is going to depend, I think, on his defensive home. Uh, he Played shortstop a lot at NC State. He played a little bit of second base last year with Orem. We'll see if he, he's able to stick there. He is a below average runner, which could hurt his chances of sticking it short. But he has the potential to have an average hit tool, potential for average power. Uh, power was kind of his calling card in college, playing with a metal bat. We'll see how that translates. Uh, he had a 439 slugging percentage in Orem last year. Don't want to look too much into post-draft stats, but, uh, you know, the power didn't translate right away anyway. So that's still an open question of how that's going to work. If he, you know, sticks at shortstop and managed to be pretty good there uh, and is an average bat, 
all around with average power, there's some value there. Uh, if he's a second baseman who's just okay as a second baseman with just a little, you know, it, it's it, less of a premium position and a little bit more replaceable. So we'll see what happens in the Giants system. But uh, the Giants right now trying to figure out what their identity is. Are they a contender now? Do they think they can go for it? Uh, or do they think they want to build up from their farm system, build around a Elliot Ramos and a Joey Bart? Uh, you know, we'll see how that's going to work out. But adding Will Wilson is certainly going to make their their system better. Uh, they're essentially paying $12.67 million to acquire a first-round pick. Uh, and, yeah, what happens to to Wilson in that group, we'll have to see. You know, Lord knows the, the Giants have some – shortstop options in that system right now. Uh, Mauricio Dobon has some experience there. Marco Luciano is coming up fast uh, as a teenager. He's less advanced than Wilson, but they're now going to be competing for that shortstop position. So we'll see how that works out. But, uh, you know, in terms of winter meetings trades, this is one of the fun ones we, we always like to see. Wish there can be more down the path. But to see that to see the Giants actively buying a prospect like this is, is kind of fun and uh, makes their farm system that much better. And uh, strike three, an interesting one uh, written by our own Samuel Cool Dykstra at MILB.com yesterday. The Los Angeles Dodgers evidently are uh, considering giving Gavin Lux a shot to make the big league roster as an outfielder, a place where he has not played a single inning as a professional player. Um, Gavin Lux obviously exploded last year through the AA and AAA levels and was one of the most exciting, if not the most exciting prospect in baseball uh, last year. He is now the second-ranked overall prospect in the game. Uh, And Dave Roberts said, quote, it's not crazy to think seeing Gavin on the grass might be a possibility, but if you have Corey Seager... Lux uh, could play second base or outfield short term. Maybe he just means like in a weird shift, seeing Gavin on the grass. <laughs> um, I don't know, but uh, this is an interesting one. Yeah, no, it, it was interesting because uh, you know I, I I asked Dave Roberts yesterday. I said, you know, where does was Gavin? Where does Gavin Lux stand on the major league roster right now? Uh, because for anybody who followed his season last year, you know, obviously one of the offensive standouts in all of minor league baseball the guy hit 347 with a 1.028 ops between tulsa and triple a oklahoma city finished with 26 homers 10 stolen bases there's a reason why the dodgers brought him up in september uh because they were going for it they knew what they had in the player didn't quite work out the way they may have hoped obviously they didn't win world series but uh lux didn't set the world on fire he hit 240 with a 705 ops in 75 at bats um so, you know, where do things kind of stand now? You know, Corey Seager's blocking him at shortstop. If, if they believe Corey Seager is the long-term solution there, then, okay, where does he move to second base where he played exclusively in the majors? Um, but they, there's also been talk with the Dodgers this offseason of they're going to go after Anthony Rendon, and Justin Turner has made it known he is willing to move across the diamond to either first base or second base uh, to allow Rendon to take over at third. Also, Max Muncy is there, and he has some experience at first or second base. So, you know, is Lux the the second baseman right now? And that's what I kind of wanted to get at. And, uh, you know, Dave Roberts, when I said, is he a second baseman? Is that how you view him? He's like, well, I think that's fair. Uh, But, you know, could he see time on the grass? That's a possibility. And that was the surprise to me. Um, Because, you know, the Dodgers are are a little bit crowded in the outfield now. They've got an LMVP Cody Bellinger. They've got Alex Verdugo. They've got A.J. Pollock. They've got uh, Jock Peterson. 
allowing Lux to maybe fit in there somehow. You know, we went through this a couple of years with Cody Bellinger. Cody Bellinger was a really good defensive first baseman. Now he's a gold glove winning outfielder. Uh, Max Muncie moved to second base with some success. They've moved Chris Taylor all over the place. This isn't uh, a new thing that the Dodgers are doing, but it would be a brand new thing for Gavin Lux. Uh, you know, we'll see how that's going to figure itself out. Again, injuries happen. Lots of things happen. He could be moving anywhere. But um, the the idea that outfield is now on the table for him is an, is a fascinating one. He's got plus speed. He's got a good arm for the infield. It's probably going to translate decently well, although not necessarily Vladimir Guerrero out there. But, uh, yeah, this is something to keep an eye on when the Dodgers go to Camelback Ranch this spring is how many reps is he going to get in the outfield or is this going to figure itself out with some other roster moves uh, that will allow us to say, okay, Gavin Lux is now the defined shortstop or defined second baseman. And that is three strikes on this week's episode of the show before the show. Well, we're in for a kind of a treat this week for, with the winter, winter meetings going on. Uh, ben and I have been to a couple, but this week we are joined by somebody who's never been to one before. This is his first one. Is Fort Wayne broadcaster John Nolan. John, thanks so much for being here first off. Yeah, Sam, thanks so much for, for having me. And you don't need to thank me for being in San Diego for the winter meetings. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's good that you're here because you're able to provide a perspective that, you know, we don't have anymore being to a couple of these now. This is your first one. Not only that, it's in the city of your affiliate. Fort Wayne is a San Diego affiliate. So what has this last couple of days been like? What has been your experience not having seen this before? Yeah, and obviously for so many people who work in the industry, this is an annual event that they come to attend. Uh, so for me, I, I've spent eight years in, uh, in MILB now between interning and become, going on to become a full-time employee. And it just never really worked out where I Partly, I've been fortunate here for a number of years to not need to be a job seeker. Mm -hmm. uh, and then scheduling-wise or travel-wise, it just uh, never worked out for me before. But I have had it on, I guess I would say, my working in baseball bucket list um, because it is a pretty cool, surreal experience. It's probably lived up to how it had been described to me by so many coming in where You'll, every corner you turn, everywhere you look, you see someone who you know, either know personally, again, especially after you spend some years working in the industry, people who you've met uh, along the way, and maybe they moved to a different part of the country and you haven't been able to reconnect with them again. And then not to mention seeing people that you recognize just from TV and, and being a baseball fan. Right. So my, my experience started off here on Monday morning. I was walking through the doors here of the uh, the Hyatt at the same time as Steve Finley, uh, former <laughs> All-Star. And I'm lucky working for a Padres affiliate where I have been able to meet Steve before. So he was one of those familiar faces in more ways than one. There you go. But then walked through the door, and I think Ken Rosenthal was the first person standing there. And, uh, yeah, it hasn't really slowed down in that sense uh, since. Yeah, I was going to ask, what is your welcome to the winter meetings moment? But I guess that's kind of it. But kind Actually, of I would step back even and when I got um, – when I got off the uh, the airplane in, in the airport, the first person who I saw was uh, was the Mets general manager, Brody Van Wagen. Oh, there you go. So, yeah, that from that moment that set the tone for uh, for the whole week. Mm. And once you are here and you are getting a little bit comfortable with like some moment that I had, that's Jim Leland is just around the corner. What is your day to day when you've been here since? Yeah, and so I've been here in a capacity representing the Tin Caps, and so they're 
you know, whether it's been attending the Midwest League meeting or attending uh, a demo for some changes and working on the website for uh, for teams in minor league baseball. Uh, so some stuff that was on the calendar this morning, there was a baseball chapel breakfast. So I think I was lucky to have a pretty good balance of having stuff that's scheduled today, but at the same time having some freedom to go out and explore. I had reached out to some people in advance about setting up a time to talk. Um, I guess in, in my experience here too, I think I'm in a, I don't know if uh, it's necessarily all that unique, but I'm in a spot in my career here in my later 20s where I'm not fresh, but I'm not all that seasoned either. So there's still people that I try to, to learn from. So I was able to, uh, yeah, whether it was talking to people in the industry, asking them for advice, but at the same time now with some uh, some kids coming out of college, or I shouldn't call them kids now, they're here, they're here to seeking jobs. <laughs> You're they're still in adults. your 20s too, just they're, like me. Yeah, some, we don't younger, some younger adults where hopefully I was able to pass along some some words of, uh, of wisdom and trying to help them along in, uh, in their path. So, uh, yeah, definitely there's like a reunion aspect to it where catching up with people uh, along the way, you had alluded to it earlier, it was sort of a an extra bonus here is that being with the Padres affiliate in San Diego, I've had the chance to go over to uh, Petco Park for uh, an event or two, so you get like a little extra special treatment there. Mm. Um, so yeah, walk, walking through the clubhouse uh, at Petco Park and having a having a reception out in the uh, the uh, outfield area there was. It's like pretty surreal. Like you gotta kind of pinch yourself. Not to, I mean, just being in San Diego, it's like right. You can be sitting on the sidewalk, and it's kind of breathtaking. So I've uh, definitely fully enjoyed this experience, and I'm really grateful for all the opportunities uh, along the way here. And going back to something you said about you know being kind of a veteran, not necessarily a seasoned veteran, but people now coming to you for advice. So much of what we talk about normally about the winter meetings are those job seekers. So with guys coming to you or girls or whoever mm-hmm. coming to you now and saying, like, how do I get to a place where I am in, in a stable job like you've been for five, seven years now, what is your number one piece of advice for those folks? Mm. One piece of advice. Or, or what, no. what is the spiel you give them? I mean, like, everybody's, there's... You know, yeah, if they're, here, of if they're here, then it's too late for me to tell them that they sh- should study science or math. <laughs> <laughs> Rather, and again, I'm a play-by-play media relations guy, so uh, definitely a tough industry to, to crack. Um, so other than, I guess, a trite, uh, you know, work hard. I, it's, that isn't trite, actually. That is, most important, importantly, work hard, be nice right. to people. But, um, I mean, while here, I would just... I, I, I suggested to folks um, yeah, just to take the time to actually build relationships because you never know who connects with who um, and even if it's not going to lead to a job here this week the fact that if you present yourself in a professional manner you take an interest in learning about the the other person and offering a figuring out a way where you could be of help to them not just you asking for something then yeah maybe in that moment you're not going to have a breakthrough but hopefully things kind of figure out a way of sorting themselves out down the road mm. and especially when it comes to broadcasters so much is about style and trying to stand out or something what have you kind of in terms of a craft honed as your style or something that you know you found is most comfortable for you when you're behind the mic mm-hmm. and uh I'm really lucky in my experience in minor league baseball when I started out interning for the Syracuse Chiefs at the time, their lead broadcaster was Jason Benetti. Oh, yeah, yeah. The TV voice of the White Sox. 
and then the number it's funny to say that he was a number two broadcaster in minor league baseball but everyone starts somewhere and that was Kevin Brown who's now part of the radio crew for the Orioles and then when I started in Fort Wayne I was working under Mike Cousins mm. who currently works for ESPN and has done some Sunday night baseball on ESPN radio um, so I had I was really uh, lucky there to to work under some people who knew what they were doing and right. hoping that hopefully some of the some of their talent uh rubbed off on me or like by osmosis i had picked up on something so i mean in terms of the like a style you still have to be yourself like i don't necessarily go on air saying okay i need to be jason benetti here because then i would i would just you don't be, have bill walton next no. to you coming in <laughs> anything like that no, that would be that would be something. I did actually see the Lakewood Blue Claws promoting uh, a Grateful Dead night, so maybe that would be the, the way go, to man. get Bill Walton to come out to a minor league baseball game. I mean, yeah, we had him had him out of White White Sox Angels game last year. Um, but you just got to be yourself, and it definitely is a challenge. And I probably still have some ways to go into fully achieving that and being the same person who you are with the headset on as you are uh, with it off. Because um, yeah, especially starting off, you, you probably are trying to do it. In a, some kind of an impression of someone like we're sitting here close to the uh, SNY set and I grew up a fan of the Mets and so my play-by-play style is no doubt influenced by uh, listening and watching Gary Cohen and Howie Rose call games because that was the soundtrack of you know my my childhood years so yeah it's hard to be yourself when you're still growing into yourself and figuring out who that is early on but that's simple but uh but definitely key mm, fair enough and as we mentioned you've been in the midwest league for a little while we were discussing a little bit off mic before this fort wayne is a padres affiliate very exciting time to be a padres affiliate the last couple of years and how has that system grown just from your vantage point above you know above the field going from what they used to be as a padre system to now xavier edwards was there this year he finished with cj abrams mackenzie gore got time there two years ago all these guys are constantly coming up through the system and their first stop normally is fort wayne yeah throughout my time in fort wayne i've been spoiled in terms of the the talent and caliber of prospects that have come through um but yeah on our side in particular my first year we had hunter renfro mm. um who now you know his name was coming up here uh that trade with with the uh, the Rays, but under the AJ Preller era for the Padres, the caliber of prospects you named some of those guys there obviously has been as good as any in the game. What top farm system in baseball the last couple of years? Um, I mean, probably wind up telling my grandkids hopefully about watching Fernando Tatis Jr. play uh, a full season at the age of eighteen. And I mean, the list goes goes on and on, and it's kind of interesting too because someone like Mackenzie Gore unfortunately dealt with injury during his year with us and so we didn't see him at his best like he was this past right, year yeah. the best pitcher in minor league baseball with uh, like Elsinore and Amarillo um, so yeah that's part of it too it's like some of these guys are they're teenagers they're playing against competition three four years older for the first time and so you just have to kind of keep that open mind that uh, that they're growing and it's not you know success is not going to be instant but uh, it's obviously fun to see so many of these guys rise up to San Diego. I'm not sure if we can maybe try to do a study, but I think the Fort Wayne has probably had more guys wind up appearing in the major leagues than any Class A team has had over the last uh, yeah my seven years, probably going back a decade or so. Mm. So that makes the that makes the job extra fun. Yeah, and, and beyond that, I mean, working at the club level, the affiliate level, 
you know, how much of that relationship do you see with the Padres? Because the Padres have been there for a while. Some teams, it's constantly cycling through, but they seem to be, a, you know, a mainstay in Fort Wayne, and there's not a natural relationship there. Right, so. yeah, Fort Wayne to, to San Diego, they don't have that direct flight. And, uh, <laughs> that's, that's not a short drive. Not that you need one for Class A, but still, it's nice. I wish. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's going on 20-plus uh, years, going back to, to 1999 when that uh, – that partnership started so uh yeah like i think the padres for the fact that they have sent all of these top prospects through fort wayne without having guys skip over the level uh for whatever you know circumstances sometimes you, you have a guy maybe go from short season to high a and we've been we've been uh blessed to have all these guys come through for at least uh some stint and most of them because i mean that class a level is so instrumental in their development um where they do oftentimes have at least a half season, if not more. Um, so yeah, I, I we can keep going for another ten minutes. With me, uh, <laughs> just thanking the Padres for a, for a lot of these uh, really outstanding opportunities. And, and sticking with the Padres, just quickly mm-hmm. with this past year, this team again, we could go up and down the way with the prospects, but being around the team every day, who was somebody who surprised you, or somebody you felt like flew under the national radar that really stood out to you on a day-to-day? Man, the first one that comes to mind would be Joey Cantillo. He's a Mm -hmm. 19-year-old left-hander who started the season outside of top 30 prospect rankings. Um, As a matter of fact, uh, Joey had a rough couple of starts early on in April, and he's someone who was interesting even going back to when he was drafted. Uh, a couple years ago because he was only like a 16th round draft pick but he did get like top five round money and he bypassed on a commitment to uh, Kentucky Um, and so yeah after a bit of a slow start he was as dominant as any pitcher in all of minor league baseball I think for a while it was like Gore and Cantillo who had the lowest ERA going and Joey had multiple starts where he was carrying a no hitter through six or so innings Um, and then talking with uh, you know his teammates and coaches they all really attributed that to his work ethic and the job that he was putting in in between starts and um, he doesn't have naturally overwhelming stuff but through hard work he got his velo up to to 94 um if not even 95 by by august and you know complemented that with a really nasty vulcan change up and had a developing curveball too so yeah with his makeup joe is just a tremendous guy I'm, I'm excited to see if he could be one of these guys now he's kind of zooming through the uh through the padres system and joining a lot of other uh, exciting guys yeah as if the padres need another high octane yeah. arm but like getting him at the lower depth can never be a bad thing uh kind of expanding out from that from the midwest league it's one of the more interesting leagues to follow i think just because it is pretty steady it's not a hitters league it's not an extreme pitchers league like Mm -hmm. the fsl something like that but you're starting in the cold of april you're going through a hot summer what is it like you know traveling to all these ballparks and getting a pretty wide area this isn't like the fsl something like that um you know take us through what is the midwest league like April to September. Yeah, it's a great league. Like you mentioned, you start off in the cold, and so thinking about one of the top guys in minor league baseball this past year, Ty France, uh, who spent most of the year with Triple A El Paso and then made his big league debut with the Padres. We had him in 2016, and if you look at Ty's year by year stats as a pro, he's hit like 300 or better everywhere but Fort Wayne. And so this past year, I had a chance to catch up with him, and I, I joked with him because he 
he hit like 240 or so. He had a great on-base percentage. So I know for any you know smart fans out there, don't worry, I'm not like so caught up on batting average. But I'm just <laughs> just pointing it out here that the hits were hard to come by. And I joked with him. I was like, hey, were you sandbagging in Fort Wayne or what was the deal? And he's like, man. I couldn't hit it in April. It was too cold. And then, sure enough, you look back at his splits, and he was like below 200 in April. But then he actually afterwards did kind of raise that average up. So you, you see those numbers play out. And um, overall, though, to your to uh, to your point, it's a fantastic league with 16 teams. Uh, you got an East and a West division with uh, eight teams apiece. We only play one series a season against teams in the opposite division, um, so we do miss out on, on some of the the opposite side, but. Um, I know compared to other leagues, Fort, Fort Wayne and the Midwest League, um, you know, travel is, is pretty smooth. Mm-hmm. We're, we're centrally located in the league, so our trips uh, on average are only in the three-hour range, and it's the six, seven-hour ones that are the long ones. And um, I'm sure if you talk to me a day after that, I might complain about that <laughs> trip. But, you know, looking bigger picture, I know we're, we're lucky there because in the Texas League, six or seven hours might be one of your shorter trips, right, or... Uh, in the North Wesley, that could be the case. So, yeah, right. yeah, but great organizations. I mean, from Dayton, which is you know sells out every single game, um, to rising organizations like South Bend's uh, put a lot of money into their ballpark over the years. Uh, exciting to hear that Beloit now could be adding uh, a new ballpark in coming seasons. Um, yeah, great ballparks, great front offices. I think typically number three in attendance in minor league baseball after the two AAA leagues. Mm. Um, so that speaks to uh, speaks to the organizations. If you look at the who wins the, uh, the the major minor league baseball awards and awards from other publications, and you know whether it's I think uh, Quad Cities and Kane County uh, were recognized this year for their charitable efforts. Um, probably don't have enough time to single out every single <laughs> right. organization. I'm you know I'm, might be a politician one day, so I want to don't want to ruffle any any feathers. But uh, yeah. you still have to visit these places. Yes, a couple exactly. times every year. Yes, I get and, that. and rely on them to serve me food. So right, all right maybe we should budget some time. Well, I was just gonna I was gonna kind of put your feet a little to the fire and say, what is your favorite stadium to visit? So from my perspective, as a broadcaster. Um, I, I give the nod to Dayton because of the fact that they have the largest crowds, mm-hmm. and so for me as a broadcaster, it's great when you can hear that you know that buzz uh, in the background. And also, kudos to their broadcasting crew led by Tom Nichols that they have the best uh, crowd mics too to also amplify because they have mics down close to the field, so you can hear the crack of the bat really well in addition to the roar of the crowd. So um, I like. Honestly, I feel like a little bit big league when I'm calling a game in uh, in Dayton because of the uh, the atmosphere there. Fair enough. All right, and uh, we were talking before as well. There's some new stuff coming to Fort Wayne next year that seems pretty exciting. Yeah, and Fort Wayne, where we've been uh, we've been lucky to, to have record setting crowds uh, almost year after year since Parkview Field opened in 2009. So uh, have had a lot of success, but it's great that our ownership group led by Jason Fryer with Hardball Capital is not content to you know, rest on that past success and is always striving to to be better and so several ballpark enhancements are coming to Parkview Field we've, uh, we've got a brand new HD video board coming in next year and so for anyone tuned in to uh, MILB.TV that also means that the Fort Wayne games at home will be uh, streaming in, in a high definition um, so again for me on the broadcast side I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that but for the fans the ballpark experience is going to be enhanced that way um even we're going to be part of uh, copa next year with the manzanas looking for us so uh, excited for fort wayne to be 
involved with uh, with that great movement. Um, yeah, uh, other stuff I'm sure is even going to be released as we get closer to opening day. So, yeah, getting uh, you know wet in the beak here. Winter meetings where baseball is obviously you know the focus and just wall to wall coverage and everything going on here. Now it's going to be tough to go back to the cold <laughs> in uh, Indiana and realize we got to wait several more months. But uh, yeah, can't wait for opening day in April. Yeah, and that, that brings me back to what my final question is going to be. We started talking about the winter meetings. We'll end on the winter meetings. Uh, when you do go back to Fort Wayne and think about what this experience was like and maybe you know potentially hopefully coming back for, for Dallas next year, what is your, going to be your takeaway from the winter meetings? Yeah, and I mentally, as I'm walking around here on uh, this uh, my, my last full day here I'm already planning out like yeah first off why was I never here before <laughs> and secondly uh, how do I make sure to, to incorporate this as an annual trip going forward uh, so my greatest takeaway I mean probably just like how many awesome people there are that make up the baseball community um, you know both on the major league side and on the minor league side um, and Again, since this sort of is a, a networking type of event too, one piece of advice going back to that topic before, which is not necessarily advice, but just a statement that it's really cool that there are so many people that have achieved success in this organization. So whether you're talking about the top writers or the top broadcasters, and I can, it's not my niche, but I think the same goes for some of the top, you know, baseball ops people out there. So many people, like they've, I guess you could say they've uh, made it to the made it to the top of the treehouse and like they don't pull the ladder up to prevent other people from joining them up there now the idea of giving back and reaching out and whether that's directly in the way of helping someone out to get a job or again maybe just uh encouraging words that kind of spur somebody on or um yeah a word of advice or two that helps uh make a difference for someone's uh someone's journey i think it's just a fulfilling experience to see how many it's competitive right i mean like right. from the side of base the team's uh, you know, limited cut, spots but you yeah. know cutthroat trying to win on the field cutthroat in drawn fans in a number of ways yes it is a hyper competitive industry but at the same time so many people have uh, really great hearts and uh i think that's probably what this was a good uh good good experience to uh have that uh, affirmed hmm. all right well i think that's a, a good spot to end on anybody I still would... have like 10 midwest league teams i have to say something nice about <laughs> maybe we'll bring you back <laughs> part two in the middle of the okay. season yeah as you're going through the midwest league we'll, we'll have you back but uh anybody listening at home who wants to follow john on twitter it's at john underscore g underscore nolan sorry and for the underscores <laughs> It's all right. Twitter, there could be so many different numbers and stuff involved. Underscores are easy to remember. Uh, John, thank you so much for joining us. Glad you had a great first meetings, and uh, I'm sure we'll be in touch again down the line. Yeah, and Sam, you specifically are one of the people that I was excited to have the chance to get to meet after following you all along on social media and on MILB.com for all these years. And, uh, yeah, just kudos to the job that you and everyone else there on the team does. Uh, yeah, great to see everyone kind of under the same same roof here for, uh, for this week. Yeah. That's what the winter meetings are all about. Thanks, Sean. One of the most popular guys at the uh, winter meetings from year to year, of course, is our very own Benjamin Hill, who is uh, a celebrity in all contexts, but especially this year, I would imagine. Ben, hi. Hi, Tyler. That was a uh, not at all over the top introduction. It's uh, true, though. Whatsoever. It is true in its own sort of way. I mean, if you, uh, you, the listener, have been following the winter meetings or watching winter meetings coverage on MLB Network or ESPN, you have certainly heard uh, no mention of me and uh, 
that is perhaps probably as it should be. But I, I think what Tyler's alluding to there is just and and a point I make every year, and I think it's a point worth making every year, is that even though MLB gets all the attention at the winter meetings uh, for things such as Garrett Cole signing, and uh, Sam can get in that later. We were uh, actually at the same it restaurant be before for them. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, we were at the same restaurant as Brian Cashman. That was fun. Yeah, when the Garrett Cole signing was announced, and and that's the sort of thing that uh, you know the average person is going to know what is happening during the winter meetings, not where Brian Cashman ate at, but those sort of high profile things. But at its core, the the winter meetings, and I say this every year, is a minor league baseball event. Minor league baseball chooses the sites. They, they do the organization. Essentially, major league baseball is a very large and high profile guest of minor league baseball at, when it comes to how the event itself is actually put together and organized. So, Everyone from minor league baseball is there. I mean, not everyone who works in minor league baseball, but at least one person from every team, sometimes as many as six, eight, ten people for a team. Um, the entire industry is there. And for someone like myself who spent my career working throughout the industry and visiting the ballparks, it is the highest concentration of people who know me uh, than I will find anywhere else throughout the year by a factor of approximately infinity. So um, this year, obviously, there's so much going on. Yeah, you mentioned Gary Cole and Steven Strasburg, and now there's a, a press conference as we're recording this right now to discuss about the uh, the baseballs over the last couple of years, and the home run rate has, has spiked and skyrocketed. But this is an MILB event, and uh, obviously there's so much that goes on from year to year. There's the trade show, and there's meetings. And um, what have your overall impressions been uh, about this season so far? Well, this one so far, I mean, we, we were last in San Diego five years ago. I mean, strictly from a logistical standpoint, it's a beautiful place to have an event like this. Uh, but uh, the different um, prime locations are spread out and not as concentrated in other years. So one of my impressions from this year's meetings is you have to walk a lot more uh, from place to place to place. And there's a lot of uh, kind of frantic maneuvering between uh, the Hyatt where the MLB uh people are situated uh, from the Hilton where minor league baseball is from the convention center in between where the uh, trade show and uh, job fair is. So there's like a lot of stuff spread out over a comparatively short amount of places. But um, you know, that really does kind of, for your day-to-day, moment-to-moment experience, that does kind of change the character of the meetings, um, just having to kind of jump from location to location a bit more than you're used to. Uh, beyond that, I can't say there's anything from me from the minor league side that has outwardly been much different in terms of the structure of um, you know, the winter meetings. I mean, obviously, it's we're approaching a important and, and difficult season for baseball, and you know, there's a lot of talk about that. Uh, but on the day-to-day, in terms of how things are uh, – you know, just organized and structured. It's uh, just a winter meetings. Um, you know, start with the opening session, have the Bob Friedis business seminar, have the trade show, have the job fair, uh, have, uh, you know, event and cocktail hours at night. It's like a nonstop, uh, nonstop, put you through the ringer kind of event for all involved in their own special ways. And uh, one one story that you have this year that I, I really enjoyed, it wasn't necessarily focused on this winter meetings, although, you know, it's a big deal for these winter meetings, but uh, is a Staten Island exec, Jane Rogers, who was actually an award winner in 2018. 
couldn't go for a very specific reason, but she's here now, which is great to hear. Uh, after going through a cancer battle, Miss 2018's winter meetings in Vegas is here to accept her award this year in San Diego. Uh, you got to speak with Jane. It sounded like a really fun interview when I talked to you before the piece. That came through in the piece as well. Uh, but what can you tell us about Jane Rogers, who has been in Staten Island, it seems like, forever? Yeah, Jane Rogers. This was a fun story to write, not one I kind of had on my radar coming into the meetings, but it just uh, – you know, it just presented itself to me during the uh, opening session. Uh, Jane Rogers, who was literally the first employee uh, of the Staten Island Yankees, hired as an office manager in February of 1999, has been with the team ever since. She is now the senior vice president of baseball operations, uh, really well known uh, throughout minor league baseball circles and particularly within the New York Penn League. Uh, very outgoing, uh, caring person. Uh, you know, she'll roll her eyes, but, you know, she does have that kind of reputation of being sort of, you know, the team mom or just... Just uh, the kind of person who, you know, initially she says, well, I am a mom. I take care of people. It's in my nature. Um, so she's just really well known throughout the industry. Uh, but in 2018, prior to the 2018 season, she was diagnosed with breast cancer and, uh, you know, spent that entire entirety of the rest of the year from about March um, onward. Um, you know, dealing with that and into 2019 was not able to attend the winter meetings last year when she was awarded the New York Penn League Executive of the Year. So as 2019 progressed, she was uh, went through her treatments, chemo, radiation, was declared cancer free and then came was able to come to this year's winter meetings in San Diego. And uh, during the opening sessions, when they were giving Executive of the Year award, they gave Jane Rogers her award from 2018 because she couldn't be there uh, due to the cancer treatments of last year. So it was just a cool, hard heartwarming, triumphant moment during the winter meetings, opening sessions, Jane Rogers being, um, you know, recognized for an award she won the year before, uh, now back at the winter meetings and healthy. And, uh, you know, she'll tell you with uh, blue hair instead of her wild blonde hair from before and 50 pounds lighter. And she's saying, hey, people don't recognize me. But it was a lot of fun. I talked to her right in the wake of the opening session. Um, you know, she was in a great mood. Uh, there's a lot of great quotes in that article. Uh, some I feel like we should maybe have her as a podcast guest because there's some great quotes. But if you can imagine it, you know, she has lived in Staten Island for decades and is originally from Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. So there's just like a lot of character in the way she speaks and uh, the things she puts emphasis on. And uh, check out that story on MILB.com, MILB.com slash Ben's Biz for all my content specifically. But of course, you want to read everything. All of it, all the time. Um, and there is also a story uh, coming up, I don't believe out yet, but uh, on a former Johnson City broadcaster who's got one of the best names that uh, I can imagine as uh, a broadcaster or anybody else, Joey Zanaboni. Um, give us uh, the lowdown on Joey. Yeah, well, you guys, Tyler, I'm not sure if you came across uh, kind of Joey Zanaboni highlight clips on Twitter this past year. Um Really interesting fellow. He was with the Johnson City, a broadcaster with the Johnson City Cardinals last year. Uh, you know, he calls himself kind of a, the voice of a new generation. Uh, tags all his tweets with LCRR, lock it, cock it, reload it, or restock it, I believe is what that stands for. Um, he's very kind of sticky and over the top. Uh, but he gets a lot of attention uh, for his calls with a lot of puns and crazy, uh, you know, similes and and all sorts of stuff that he believes are made for the internet age uh, at a time when you're trying to get attention for not just yourself as a broadcaster, but for your team uh, through, you know, smaller snippets of, um, 
you know, play calling as opposed to just kind of settling in over a long period of time, which of course he has to do as well, calling games. So he's at, he's at the winter meetings, not registered as a job seeker, but you know, pound on the pavement, talking to people. Uh, and I was like, Oh, Joey Zanaboni is at the winter meetings. This guy is uh, unique to say the least. And so I'll talk to him. And I had a very unique conversation. It's taking me a long time to transcribe it. Um, for all his uh, kind of goofy puns and over-the-top uh, play calling, he is a very thoughtful guy. I mean, he mentioned everything from, uh, yeah, Martin Luther and his 95 theses to, uh, you know, his personal poetry chapbooks that he writes to, um, you know, the history of, uh, you know, printing in general and, and uh, mass communication. And a uh, very strange and interesting fellow. And uh, I'm writing a story about him. And I think people enjoy it just seeing uh, where this guy is coming from, whether or not you you know like his style or not it is something that is uh that is truly different and uh you know one thing i was just transcribing before we came up here is joey says i see what i do is sports announcing for the internet age i have immense appreciation for jack buck vin scully red barber and people who came before me but find me red barber's snapchat account find me vin scully's instagram i'm trying to do things that stand out in the modern world and then he goes into a comparison between uh Somewhat of himself and uh, Martin Luther nailing his 95 theses, uh, theses to the door. And he concludes uh, this particular uh, passage with, Mine is an experiment in trying to do something different. Some of it sticks, some of it is improving, and some of it is great already. But I just see myself on the first step of a journey, and I see myself as part of the new wave. And, you know, there's a lot of broadcasters at the winter meetings looking for jobs, and uh, generally they are, you know, finding their voice, so to speak. And Joey Zanaboni. Uh, no matter what you end up thinking of his work when you listen to it is coming from a very different place. And that's why I'm writing a story on him because, hey, we're all looking for novelty and things that are unique. And uh, I did enjoy talking to Joey Zanaboni. So look for that story. And uh, one of the other things you got to do as well was check out the trade show, which is always a big highlight for for a lot of folks when they come here. And it's kind of funny to me that it's in the convention center. Anybody who knows Comic-Con, it's a big deal in San Diego. That's also held at the convention center. Uh, just quickly, because I know it, it can kind of be similar year in and year out, but during your trip through the trade show, what kind of stood out this year in, in terms of you know what you saw here in San Diego? Well, there is a video um, on uh, online right now, on not just online, but on MILB.com yeah. um, with some of my trade show wanderings. Um, this year there was a, a, a spot where you could get free – pretty high quality headshots done so sam go down there if you want some uh, good picks um there was uh this home run i forget what it was called this home run simulator and i did awful um you know i played softball this year in case you didn't know and i did pretty well and uh and also injured yourself well i did injure myself in the last game uh, yeah. i pulled a hamstring yes but all I'm trying to say is I was feeling pretty good about my baseball skills, and I stepped into this uh, at the trade show. It's a really amazing piece of technology, but I found it really hard to deal with. Is It's like playing a video game in real life. You have a massive screen. You step into a batting cage, and there's this massive screen like a video game, and the pitcher is a video game pitcher pitching to you, but as soon as he goes through his motion, the ball comes out of the actual uh, – pitching machine in the batting cage so you are you know working on timing your uh swing to a real not a real pitcher but a a pitcher delivering uh in this baseball game virtual reality backdrop i did awful but i thought that was a a really cool thing as well um people are into the pizza cones i can't eat that because i'm gluten free Mm. but uh 
you know, these uh, doughy pizza cones with uh, different, you know, filled with different toppings. Um, the guys are from Philly, so they had some more uh, Philly specific stuff, you know, the whiz wit pizza cone and things of that nature and on and on and on. It's the trade show. I wish the public could sometimes go because I think they'd appreciate it more than us jaded industry folks just to walk among this uh, baseball, you know, wonderland is maybe too strong a word to say, but just to really get a sense of all the products, uh, goods and services um, that surround uh, the job of putting on a baseball game at a professional baseball stadium. Because that's the thing is that literally everything you experience at a baseball game is basically coming through the trade show. You know, whether it's the seats that are sold, the lights that are placed at a stadium, the the ticketing methods, the the grass, like the games they have off to the side, the concessions, all of this stuff is in one place. Whether teams buy it there or, or go to other vendors is yet to be seen. But it's incredible how much you have to think about every minute detail of a ballpark has to be decided right. year in and year out and how – Things can be changed and tinkered with and whatever, but to have that all centralized at the trade show is pretty neat. Yeah, exactly. It really gives you a sense of uh, the, the scope of the operation when you're you're running a baseball team uh, at a, at a professional baseball stadium. I mean, you don't think of it as a fan necessarily, but you're like, oh, the trash cans—they had to come from somewhere. Right. You know, the signage, the lighting, like you said, it's it's, it's massive. All of Ben's stuff up at MILB.com slash Ben's Biz. He is on the social medias at Ben's Biz on Twitter and the Ben's Biz on Instagram. And uh, enjoy the rest of the time in San Diego, man. We'll be uh, on the lookout for all the rest coming to the site. Yeah, thank you. I have a few things in the can and uh, looking forward to writing more, talking about it more. And uh, also, with all due respect to the winter meetings, looking forward to it being over and uh, visiting some friends in San Francisco and, you know, peacing out for a few days. Never a bad thing. Yeah, that's what people say. Peace out, right? Yeah, I think they say that in NorCal, yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm going to peace out. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you, Sam. Good night from San Diego. Good night from San Diego. He says at 10.22 in the morning. 10.22 in the morning. Just uh, one more reminder, over 90 teams will vie for the Copa de la Diversión Cup in 2020, each with an identity as unique and impactful as its area's Hispanic community. Follow Minor League Baseball on social media at MILB and visit the Copa website at MILB.com slash fan slash Copa to find out more about the initiative's newest members and colorful, vibrant identities. And congratulations, by the way, to the uh, Mariachis de Nuevo Mexico, uh, the Albuquerque Isotopes, who were Copa champions again. Um, and with that, we're uh, going to wrap things up. What's uh, on the docket for you the last couple of days in San Diego? Yeah, I mean, we probably should have mentioned this, and this is my bad for not saying it at, at the top, but uh, for any of you listening over the weekend after Thursday, uh, you know, when this is posted – We'll be doing the Rule 5 draft stuff next weekend or uh, next week in, in our podcast. We, we recorded before the Rule 5 draft this year. Um, so we'll cover that and the potential stickiness of all players taken uh, next week. But, yeah, that, that's the big thing on, on my uh, my ledger the rest of the way is, is the Rule 5 draft Thursday morning. Uh, that's always fun just because it's, it's, you know, a career defining moment for a lot of guys. And it's the first crack they get at the major leagues, uh, whether they're going to stick or not, you know, they've kind of been diminishing returns the last couple of years, but at least it's that chance to prove yourself at the top level and, uh, you know, know that another organization thinks you're capable of doing that. So, um, that's always fun. And, and yeah, I think the rest of today is just seeing where the day takes me, uh, 
It's one thing I love about the winter meetings is that there's always the potential of something right around the corner uh, outside of maybe some comments here and there. We didn't know that Garrett Cole would definitely sign last night until it happened. Uh, so, you know, what what could happen today? Could Rendon sign? Could some trade be right around the corner? We'll have to see. But um yeah, it's always an exciting time of the year, and we'll be back to talk about whatever we, we missed this week, next week, and it'll probably be our last show, so we'll wrap up the entire 20, 2019 year and season and all that kind of fun stuff. So looking forward to talking to you guys then. And uh, with that, we'll say goodbye from uh, the 2019 Winter Meetings. We'll wrap things up next, talk about the Rule 5 draft, the Sam Noted, and all of that. Uh, for Sam Dykstra, I'm Tyler Mon. Enjoy the rest of uh, the hot stove week, and hopefully your team gets everything on its Christmas list. Uh, that's all. Talk to you next week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.